Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. I'm your host, coach, author, and healer, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today as we talk about the men's code in business, the women's code in business, and the awareness and fears of being seen as weak. If you are feeling stuck under the weight of a charade of acting like you think a man is supposed to act, book a one-on-one call with me to start shedding all of that nonsense. Visit theandygrant.com slash talk to learn more. That is theandygrant.com slash talk because your life is meant to be enjoyed. My guest today is Beate Chalette. Beate is an author, speaker, successful businesswoman, and growth architect. Beate talks about the men's code in business, how women have tried to fit into it, and how Me Too just blew it all up. We have a deep discussion around change, awareness, and the fears of both being wrong and seeming weak. Long before COVID, too many of us were already wearing masks. This is one of my favorite conversations in a long time. Let's get to it. Hello, Beate, and welcome to Real Men Feel. I'm so excited to be here, Andy. I cannot wait. Well, good, because the waiting is over. Here we are. So you call yourself a growth architect. Can you tell us what that actually means? Yes. So I'm the person that comes in and helps with a strategic plans, tools, tricks, techniques, blueprints to design growth architecture for organizations, teams, and businesses. Oh, I know that you have an extensive background in business. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I originally come from the creative arts. So my only degree is really photography. And I always been better at the business side behind it. So for me, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the way my brain works. And I, but I always saw, it's like, okay, that's very easy. We got to do one, two, three, four, five. And then, you know, here are the bullet points and here are the modules. Here's the formula. Here's the system. And people said, how do you do that? And I said, well, doesn't everybody know how to do that? And that's how I figured out that I have the gift when it comes to these types of strategic things. And I was a photo editor and I was a producer and a photographer and stock photography agency owner. And I sold that. And then I went in service of helping people be more successful and make their impact with what they are really good at. Cool. How did that become something that you even cared about? What is it about helping others achieve and make a bigger impact? What about that spoke to you in some way? So the story is really, my story is not the princess story. So this doesn't read like, you know, one day I woke up a princess and then a lot of great things happened. Somebody handed me the crown and and that, that was it. Life was happy, happy hunky dory after that. It really wasn't. My story is the unruly kid that went out to conquer the world with a big idea or no idea at all, but anything but this Germany. And so I was able to create a lot of adversity for myself, you know, some of which were my own decisions, some of which were not my decisions, like, you know, September 11th, tsunami, fires, floods, riots, earthquake, uh, death. I mean, you, you name it, I, I kind of covered it. And now I, you know, lucky me got to add the pandemic on top of it. Who knew that would be coming? And I remember, Andy, when I was going through this, that I thought to myself, you know, somebody's got to derive a benefit out of this at one point, because it's just not normal that one person has to be 
whiplashed by spirit, God, the universe to all this adversity. I mean, I, I said something good must be coming off this. I'm just not quite clear what it is. And that is when I then, after this decade of bad luck, was able to sell my business to Bill Gates for millions of dollars successfully. I realized that there's a lot of nonsense that is being said, not just in the corporate world, but that I felt that people weren't necessarily always honest about some of these things, right? And I set out and I said, I'm going to do my part to help more people be successful by becoming the growth architect and helping them to really map out the blueprints to their own success. Cool. The first time we spoke, you talked about how there's this kind of secret men's code in business. So is is discovering that or architecting that, is that part of how you help people or is dismantling that part of how you help people? So, you know, again, this is an interesting way to look at it because at first, you know, as I sold my business, now I'm running and they offered me a job. So I'm now running the global entertainment division for a Bill Gates company. I mean, you know, good size responsibility. And I'm realizing that the structure is built by men for men and it seems to work really great for men. Well, not all men though, but men who want to conform to that structure and women who want to conform to that structure, but it doesn't really work for women or it doesn't really work for people that don't like that kind of structure. So at first I walked into this and I said, this structure, this structure must be dismantled. And then I realized, and this is uh, really the gift that COVID brought, if you so want to, Andy, is when I looked at wait a minute, not so fast here. We can't go and say again that the advancement of one group is coming at the expense of another group. And uh, that's why the Me Too movement had such a big backlash because it was pretty rough for a lot of men and the language is pretty rough for many men. And it's not true for all men, but you know, a lot of them got caught in the crossfire and it had terrible consequences for men in their confidence around women. And now I look at this and I'm seeing men who are at home with their families and they're actually really liking tucking their kids in and spending more time with their family and experiencing what their wives go through and having a complete different appreciation for that. And I spoke to women and women said, oh my God, I never knew that Andy would be such a great dad. I mean, before this, he didn't even have time to tuck the kids in. I never saw him. And I mean, look at him now. I mean, he can wait, you know, every day at from like two to four o'clock, he books himself out. He spends time with the kids. You know, he wants to be there. It's been the greatest thing ever. And so I thought about, wait, so what we assume that all men are this, all women are that, is not true. And that's when I decided that I had to identify really the men's code, the women's code, and how we bring the two of them together into this new business code. Cool. So even identifying this kind of ruling code doesn't mean that it, that it applies to everybody. But speaking for myself, recognizing that code and how men are supposed to operate, I would try to force myself to live that way too, even though it didn't fit me. Does that resonate with you, your experience? Well, and that's the interesting part. I think that's the message that women haven't heard yet because I don't think women have realized this to the degree that, you know, I have figured this out now is that a lot of men that were forced into the structure to succeed because it's the existing structure, hated it, disliked it, 
didn't want to be in a perpetual competition, didn't like that they constantly had to watch their back, didn't like that it was always about winning and, you know, and who's got the ear, who's who's in proximity of the decision maker. How can you convince them? Can you be on the golf course? Are you at the right time at the happy hour at the club? I mean, this isn't really right for most men either, but yet men felt compelled because that was what was written in the men's code. And so you're absolutely correct is that when I realized that this idea that I had assumed was the truth, that men, most men liked it because why otherwise would they keep operating in it was actually not even true. Yeah. More and more, the, the more shows I do, the longer I live my life, <laughs> I find that more and more men, we're, we're driven by fear that we're even afraid to acknowledge, but it's that well, I better follow this norm. I better follow, I better conform to this structure or else I'll be seen as different. And that's a scary thing. I'll be ostracized. I, like, I, I won't be a man if I don't follow the men code at work and in business and in, in every aspect of life. Right, and which is why I wanted to be on your podcast because I really felt that there was a conversation you and I can have with a certain amount of honesty to say there really has been a lot of injustice done to men as well, that whoever keeps reinforcing the structure and these ideas are people that obviously excel in that kind of thing. And so this small group of whatever extroverted, hard-charging alphas, winning at all costs, right? They run everything. And it comes not just at a huge price for, let's just say, non-conforming people, but for a lot of men who don't want to live like this. And you're absolutely right. That's why I think men are so stressed out and why men are working as hard as they do, because they feel that they have to conform to this ideal of the hard charging alpha, because God forbid you found out that you feel something or you have emotions and then what, and then you'd be called a softy or what's even the consequence of that. Honestly, for anyone to say that you're so emotional, what, what bullshit is that? Because of course you have emotions. I mean, that's being human. Anger is emotion. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have emotions. So why wouldn't you be allowed to feel what you feel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the secret codes behind Real Men Feel is reminding men that they're human beings. And you don't have emotions by accident or a mistake. And there aren't some emotions that are only for women or some are only for men. Like that's all the nonsense. And because I find that like most labels and restrictive boxes that anyone place in, it doesn't actually help anyone, but no, it actually, it must help. There must be a few, a minority that does thrive in that and they keep perpetuating it. And then the majority doesn't want to rock the boat, doesn't want to be seen as an outsider. So they try to fit into this, these rules and this restriction until things just blow up and it, the, the walls can't contain it anymore. And, you know, maybe that was a, the slow burn of, of more and more women going into society. Maybe for some individuals, it's, you know, one of the blessings of the COVID experience. Uh, a man is forced to have a different experience than just going to work every day and yelling at people in the office and, you know, <laughs> driving full steam ahead and had time at home. And like, oh, wow, I, you know, I like my, I actually like my family. I didn't know that. You know? I have better intimacy. I'm connecting with my partner. My kids like me. They don't think I'm some weirdo stranger that only comes from trips with gifts from airports. Yes. I mean, right. what, a, what a concept. I think you make an, a very important point is that this idea of the group idea, the identifying with a particular group on whether that is black, brown, white, male, female, transgender, or anything kind of in between, right? So the minute I identify with a group, 
I'm already in bias toward other groups. And anybody who says otherwise lies, I'm sorry. And the reason cancel culture got so bad is because of the reason that we are seeing that people now, when they identify with the ideology of a particular group, now feel compelled to say, finger in your face, here's what you're doing wrong. And to me, the funniest moment, funny, not funny, funny, sad, right, was when I was telling my story, and my story is my first husband is and was a black man. My first husband is an alcoholic and a pathological liar. So I said that, you know, when I was speaking, I said, well, you know, my first husband, who is black, is alcoholic and a pathological liar. And then afterward, I was called out by the organizers of the event for a microaggression toward all black men. And I said, oh, no, honey, I said, this was no microaggression. I said, this was a macroaggression against one specific person. (laughs) For someone to even think that you could speak for all black men by saying my ex-husband was a pathological and alcoholic. I mean, it's just ludicrous, but it just shows you on how much we have oversensitized people to say, oh, was it? Was it politically correct that she's saying, I spoke yesterday, here's another really great example. I spoke yesterday to a photographer, a client of mine, and he had an incident where he was taking photos under a green fluorescent light. And when there's fluorescent light, your skin gets a green tilt. So he said to the person, I don't like your skin tone under this light. You know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. So he got called in by the HR, it made it all the way to the HR department from this large company that says, we had some feedback about you are having a problem with one of our employees' skin tones. And he goes like, what? No, I said that fluorescent light is green and it makes everyone's skin green. Well, maybe in the future, maybe you could formulate this a little bit softer, like saying, I don't like this light. Don't give it judgment. What? That's where we are right now in this oversensitized community of people who know everything. Like identify with whatever you want. But the moment you're only identifying with that, like we are all aspects of all things, like every type of energy and archetype, it's all making us all up. So the, anytime we make those div, those sharp lines, anytime we're adding division between people, I mean, that, that's the continued downfall of, of us as a whole, of society. I couldn't agree with you anymore. And that's why, you know, again, I really like what you do, Andy, because you go in and you just go in from with, with just a simple statement, real men feel. And that by itself is already controversial because what does it mean? Yeah. And it, and uh, let me take a chance to explain to you. And <laughs> what I mean, I mean real as in authentic and genuine. It doesn't mean that if you're a man who's not in touch with his feelings, that you're somehow not a man. No, because that's usually the, the feedback given back to men who do feel that they're not men. They're somehow turning. I was on a show early this year and I kept being asked, why are you turning men into women, Andy? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm inviting men to be human beings, which just means they'll be happier and healthier and everyone around them will do better. But yeah, we, we are, so many people are, are just digging harder into identities and making more division and separation. But, you know, there are people like you and me and, and other guests and listeners that are trying to, you know, fight that tide and bring people together because, you know, there's so many cliches that are true, but we're all more powerful together. 
Like the whole world will be a better place as we come together, not in making more divisions and separation and and blaming and pointing whatever the other is in that moment of our experience. I like that, Andy, because I think in the end, the idea is to remove the label. Because right now what's happening is it's almost like there's like so many groups now that you have to constantly watch what you're saying. And because everybody has a label on what they believe in. I say black, brown says, what about me? I say brown, Asian says, what about me? I say Asian, white says, what about me? So, you know, this is whiplash of just insanity. I mean, I can't describe it any other way. But what if, you know, we actually do exactly what you're suggesting? It's like, what if we look at the person? And what if I say, well, what what are you experiencing? What are you feeling? What are you thinking about this? And really allowing each other that softness and that vulnerability. There's a great line I heard once. Somebody says, it doesn't matter what a tough guy you are. When your daughter's pink telephone rings, you pick up. (laughs) Yep. Very true. That's great. And so if that is the truth, which I know it is, right? And how many guys have I seen in airports, you know, like the big bodybuilder guys, and they couldn't be more trained than they're carrying these teeny little Barbie backpacks for their daughters, right? That's not particularly masculine, but maybe what if it is particularly masculine to own that and say, hey, that's my baby girl and my baby girl gets to have as many Barbie backpacks and if she can carry it, I'll carry it to her anytime on my pinky if I have to, right? Yeah, I often say that the only definition of masculinity that matters is yours. And you judge it by deciding, does it feel good to me or not? Do I feel restricted? Am I not able to be myself? Like my definition of masculinity lets me do anything. And whatever I do is masculine by definition that I as a man am doing it. That's it. Do you think, I'm going to have to ask you this question. Do you think that the definition of masculinity is either under attack or threatened or changing or all of the above? I don't think it's under attack. I think it's changing and it's always been changing. The people that feel under attack are people attached to one hard definition. They're, and there are people that are comfortable with rigidity. Yeah. They don't want change, flexibility, and it can all, and it can all scare them. And, and again, so many men are driven by fear, and it's an unconscious fear. They, you know, they would deny to their last breath that they're afraid of anything, which you know proves they're afraid of being seen as having any fear or any weakness. That is so true. I remember an ex-boyfriend of mine, we were driving in the car And then he started complaining about a friend of his. And then my partner at the time turned around and said, Alex, don't be like a girl. And my head like flew. And I said, I'm sorry, what did you just say? I said, think about the message you're just giving to your son, that having an opinion or an experience about something that clearly bothered him about a human interaction with another person is inappropriate. And if he feels that he's been wronged, he's too feminine and that's bad. I said, I mean, where do you even come up with this? Yeah. Well, again, generations and generations. So the people that feel masculinity is is under attack is the ones that, you know, they're somehow being confronted with passing on rules like that. And, you know, this podcast could easily just be called humans. (laughs) (laughs) Humans feel. Because that's the truth. Yeah. Because we do. And, you know, men feel. It can drop the real. But but yeah, it's this, this niche culture, this identity politics, there's so many different phrases. And even, even using those labels makes it again, makes, you know, adding to the separation of structure. So people will have opinions. People can have whatever opinion they want. But when your opinion creates walls and makes you point and blame everyone else, my life was miserable 
until I realized I had to take responsibility for it. It's easier to feel like a victim. It's easier to blame everyone else. But when I said, you know, whatever happened until now, I, I take responsibility for what comes next. I have to create my life. Just simply reacting to things is not a healthy life. And it comes into all of these things. But every anytime you're, if you're living by someone's code and it's not yours, you're probably setting yourself up for some, for some pain, for running into some walls, for, for being obstructed by truly what you, you want to do, what calls to you, that, that hunch, that intuition, that instinctual drive to, to feel good. Life is meant to be enjoyed. And so many men are not taught that at all. No, you're absolutely correct. And I think it is, I mean, the structure for women is pretty clearly defined, right? Be seen, but not heard. Be the good girl. Don't ask for too much. Don't eat that last cookie. You know, make sure you look good, that your body looks good. Don't be a fat girl. So we got a lot of this external stuff going on on, on, on how we supposed to behave and look like. And I think for a man that there's a, a whole other set of, of rules. You know, my brother, who is not an alpha male. I mean, never has been. My brother is an introvert. My brother is very sensitive. He's very, very empathetic. And so he struggled in the insurance business because he could never be that closer, the hard closer, because that's not his thing. And But what happens is if you don't have the awareness, develop the awareness like you did, then you turn that inward and it erodes your confidence. And once your confidence goes, you're dead in the water. Because then how do you get out of that? Then you have the depression, the not sleeping, your relationships are failing, and you cannot figure it out. All because you cannot admit to yourself that whatever it is, it is because you're allowing that to dictate how you're supposed to feel. And because you're really not feeling that way, you always have that discrepancy between what you want to feel, who you really are and what they're telling you and how to feel, and they can never come together. And of course, you're going to be a mess in the middle. Yeah. I mean, that's why the suicide rate keeps climbing for men. You know, men feel disposable and, you know, negative emotions are giving us information. My negative emotions kept telling me that what I'm thinking and taking actions on is not in alignment with what I actually want out of life. But if, if I'm trying and force myself to be an alpha, to be competitive, to give a crap about, you know, business and only money or whatever it might be, or I, you know, I need to sleep with every girl that I see, that's what makes a man. All of that, if it's not what feels true to me, is draining my energy. It's leading and adding to my depression, to my anxiety, to my misery. And the more I refuse to acknowledge that, to share it, to just even to myself, if I can't take responsibility for it, and that's the only way I can change anything... Mm -hmm then I'm doomed. I'm a survivor of multiple suicide attempts. And it was all this, so much trying to be someone else. And long before COVID, most men were wearing masks and would never want to admit that they were wearing a mask and couldn't confess to anyone that they were wearing a mask and trying so hard to fit in. And so much of male society, it's third grade recess. You know, you don't want to be picked last for a game. You don't want to be picked on. You want to be bullied, all these things to avoid pain. So I think that avoidance of pain is what I believe causes so many men to shut down all emotions because they don't know how to deal with any of them. So we just deny them all. That makes an unbelievable amount of sense. You know, it's just talking to you really, to me, like, you know, in my head, I have scenarios now that I'm, I'm running where I can really see that because which meeting have we ever been to where a man asks another man, and how do you feel about that, Andy? You know, the question is, how is this going to help us to be more productive? How is this going to help us be more effective? How is this going to help the bottom line? But 
you are absolutely correct that I think within some of these things, our issues are a society that women have now been in no small responsibility given to the media, trained to look at all men as X or most men as X. And now we're seeing the reverse on the male side, where now on the media for men, it's like, well, all women are like that. And I get a lot of it on my YouTube channel. You know, I, I sadly has been branded the feminist whose fault is this, that the world is where it's at, right? Which couldn't be further from the truth because I love men. And I do believe that we have to acknowledge the strength that each of us brings to the table. And then take that and say, you know what, Andy, when you're really charging hard, I love that, you know, don't let me stop you. And then when you see something, you say, well, Beate, I really liked on, on the thoughtfulness on how you did that. And then you do something, I said, oh my God, that was so empathetic. I could never be that because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm process and strategy oriented. So that's my go-to. And then you can say, well, your strategy really worked on that one. But did you think about how the people feel when you throw them in that system? And then I'm going to say, well, but Andy, if the system works, wouldn't the people be happy? And then you said, well, on that. <laughs> now you see how we're shifting our conversation around not by our traditional roles of how we see this, but now we're shifting this around on our personality types and we're acknowledging, even though you're a hairy man, you know, and you could be X, X, and X, and I'm a blonde woman and I could be X, X, and X, but it's not even true because you're the one who talks about the feelings. I'm the one who talks about the strategy. So, hey, whoa, wait, what's happening here, Right. And that I think is the richness of the experience that we, that's the human experience is when we really listen, that's when this happens, the beauty happens in between those moments. Yeah. And this requires, this back and forth, this openness requires authenticity and vulnerability, which aren't things that are talked about in business, at least any business that I've been in. Yeah. And that makes us challenge our fear. Because again, they're driven into men, don't be weak. So women are seen as weak. So that's why don't be a little girl because that means you're weak, right? And we're all, every human being is masculine and feminine energy and aspects and skill sets. And we all have the ability to navigate and go back and forth. And the people I've met in my life who are just 100% masculine are wearing the biggest, thickest mass. I know they're not actually happy that way all the time, but they keep sticking with that. They think I must, if I try harder, I'll eventually really be comfortable and how hard I'm working at everything. And even women, that someone that is 100% femininity all the time, you know, it can not be too much of this wilted flower. They, you know, they're probably getting trampled on over life if they can never have any sort of a hard edge, any, you know, stand up for themselves anywhere. But- we navigate, it's a pendulum swing of energy, thoughts, and beliefs, unless we're taught that, nope, on the paradigm, you live right here. You get this one inch of, of infinity, you're this one inch, and that's all you can be. And you know that's where we get into so much trouble. But That's really sad if you think about it, when you go and you say, is that, you know, I really have only one inch of infinity, that's all I'm giving myself permission to. So the awareness, right? So- I want to just talk a little bit about awareness is because when we first start raising the awareness and you talk about fear a lot, right? Awareness is scary because you would have to admit to yourself that you're not happy. And so we run to the doctor, we say we're not happy. They give us some Xanax, some, you know, antidepressants, they give us something to sleep. And then we do that until 
we don't want to live like this anymore, one way yeah. or another. Until our awareness rises again that, wow, that didn't change anything. So I did a, a webinar on change. And so I looked, there's a curve called the Kubler curve of change. And so when you change, you know, so you go like down this depression and frustration, and then you go kind of to the excitement, inspiration, and then you move into permanent change. And then I looked at the wheel of addiction. It's no different. It's just different words on how it's being described, but it's exactly the same thing. You get to the point where you say anything but this. To me, I call this the piece of the pain of staying has to be greater than your fear of change. Right. Yeah. That's why somebody, you know, I'm always asking people like, why do we have to hit rock bottom to make a change? And it's good. Yeah. The pain has to be so bad that we're willing, we're willing to be wrong. Yes. That's what it comes down to. And again, that goes back to the fear. We Men and, and humans, especially if you're a woman trying to be in business, so you're trying to act like a man, well, then you can't be wrong either. You know, a stricter, there's more eyes on you waiting for you to be wrong so they can just get rid of you probably, right? Is that part of the female experience at all? Uh, the female experience is that we are told when we are being raised that, as I said, good girls are being seen, not hurt, right? To fit in, to not to draw unnecessary attention to ourselves, to let the work speak for itself, yeah, like because that works in business. And then you get out in the business world and you realize that it's all about how do I get the attention? How do I talk about myself? How do I, how do I showcase that I'm qualified? So women fall into this qualification pendulum, basically, where they constantly have to justify on that they have subject matter expertise. For me, this shows up. So I, you know, I'll do a YouTube video and I cite data from Deloitte or the government inevitably a man comes up and says, your numbers are wrong, right? They're not even my numbers, they're, they're the government numbers, they're the Deloitte, the McKinsey, you know, they're, they're the whatever they are. And they say, well, you know, you cite no sources of your information, therefore your information is wrong. So women are constantly being challenged on subject matter expertise, even when they're the subject matter expert, because that's just how society is being trained. So women can get to the visionary part because when men are accepted as a subject matter expert and have the respect you don't have to do that anymore. Then all people want to know from you, Andy, what's your vision? And how do we get to fulfill the vision? Women never get to that part. Because no matter how long they're in the business, in the career, in the organization, they will be questioned every day on subject matter expertise. I mean, I sold a business to Bill Gates for crying out loud. I mean, what are you going to, you're going to ask me whether or not I know how to grow a business? But seriously, people still challenge me on what do you even know? I'm like, track record? Yeah. So, Again, you know, we're falling back into these stereotypical behaviors and without the awareness, we, can, we cannot change this. So, of course, I'm going to be angry at men who constantly challenge me on this. I'm like, you dumb idiot, do your research. And then what they're hearing, uh, see, uh, she doesn't know her stuff. See, she's talking out of her butt. You know, she's just another one of those angry feminists who really hate men who just cite the numbers based on her momentary anger at men to just unleash. I'm like, dude. Hello. <laughs> yeah. But we're so yeah, in this. Like, yeah, you're forced to play by the old male rules that don't even work for men. And then once you do, oh, see, she's just a bitch. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, what? Yeah. And again, as you stay in these structures, again, nobody wins. They don't support us. We're, and that's why I'm kind of like, in some level, it's all falling apart. So anytime I get aware that I, I love discovering I'm wrong about something, I really, and again, it took me a long time to get to this place, but- <laughs> I can't change anything until I'm aware of it. So when I realize, oh my God, I was wrong all these years or I've been wrong for the last five minutes, whatever it is, I'm like, oh good. Not, I'd, I'd rather be happy than right. 
But that's contrary to what so many people's experiences are. Yes, because that comes with shame. That comes right. with not being the subject matter expert. The subject matter expert's the authority on the subject. The authority on the yeah. subject is the alpha, right? You know, so basically what you where you're going in is you say, well, they hired me because I'm the subject matter expert. So therefore, what I say must be acknowledged as the ultimate truth. They promoted me. Therefore, they must believe I know everything. No, that's not why you got promoted. You got promoted because they see potential in you to become a great leader. They're not hiring you because you get everything right. They're hiring you because you have the potential to grow into something really great. So I like your point, Andy, about admitting a mistake. Why is that so difficult? Goes back to fear. I'm less than a man. If I'm wrong, I'm less. Goes back to the oldest jokes about men. We won't ask for directions, Right. Because someone will say, we're wrong. I got to admit, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help me? That's a scary place. Like we're taught, we're always supposed to have that mask on that we know what we're doing. And if we don't know what we're doing, we got to put on even a bigger act that says we do. Oh my God, this, I'm laughing. I remember, you know, my former partner that I was talking about. So we were going somewhere and he missed the exit. And we all knew he missed the exit, but he didn't admit that he missed the exit. So we are all sitting in this car for an extra 30 minutes going in the wrong direction all knowing that he missed the exit until he finally realized that we were getting pretty close to Big Bear and uh, we, missed our, we missed our exit. But you are absolutely correct. It is a sign of weakness. Yeah. Too. But it isn't. We've been taught that it's a sign of weakness. What takes more strength than admitting you're wrong? I agree with you, 100%. Because that is the strength. I don't know who said this quote, but the more I know, the, the more I know what I don't know is uh, that you really realize that no matter how good you get at something, there's somebody who's exponentially better than you. Yeah. Every subject matter expert I know knows they're not the world's expert of it. And every subject matter worth knowing about, it's infinite. There's more to learn. I want to be the subject matter expert of, you know, the color red. All right, well, maybe there is a limit to that. And that, that would, once I get to the limit of that knowledge I can have of the color red, I'm going to be pretty freaking bored. <laughs> So subject matter experts that enjoy it, yeah, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to learn. And you can learn without judging yourself as wrong or weak for not knowing it all magically from the moment you were born. Yeah, it's like when Santana was asked how he feels of being you know, the greatest guitar player. And he says, I don't know, ask Prince, right? <laughs> <laughs> the masters know there are always, there's always a, a bigger master, a greater master. There's depth and... Yeah, like I, ideally we all are comfortable in our lack of expertise, but it's, it's a willingness to learn that makes experts, yeah, I find. Yeah, I love that. And you know what? And I actually think that when you get to that level of awareness for somebody like Santana to say, ask Prince on what it feels like to be the best guitar player, that really shows the, the authenticity you were talking about of the acknowledgement that a certain level, you don't need that anymore. It's not necessary anymore because you have done enough and you are comfortable with yourself that you say, I'm good enough for my fans to love me, but would I say I'm the greatest? You can call me the greatest, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to call my buddy Prince and, and ask him what it feels like, because I certainly wouldn't call myself that. So within that, I always said that when I was in, in photo production and photography representation, 
that the only artists or the only creatives that made this huge fuss about on that they needed their thing at a certain temperature and then the motorhome had to be a certain motorhome and they wouldn't go do this and they, it couldn't be Coke, it had to be Pepsi or whatever that was. They really were not at the top of their game. The people that are truly at the top of their game are the most professional, the most real, the most humble, and they don't need to do all this nonsense. And so they, I learned that. It's a great little story. So I was a representative and I was going with like 20 portfolios to a photographer. And this photographer was the first photographer for Vogue magazine. So, you know, this is quite some time ago. And so he goes through all the portfolios and he looks and he takes his time and he says nothing. And then he gives them back to me and he says, any one of them will do. And I'm like, well, whoa, whoa. I'm used to people going like, I don't like the way the hair falls. I can't believe she did that with the eyeliner. And he said, any of them will do. And what dawned on me, Andy, is that true leadership means that I can work with anyone because I am in charge and I can get anyone to perform at their most brilliant level, at their optimum level. And that's the day I decided, I said, that's the kind of leader I want to be. Yeah. Yeah, I find that from my own experience doing this and witnessing others, the more demanding you are, the more fragile you are, right? Demands aren't coming from a place of expertise and strength and power. It's like, oh no, I'm going to be found out for the fraud I am. Or, oh no, when the car realizes I've made a mistake, but I've got to keep acting like I know what I'm doing. And hopefully <laughs> we go backwards somehow magically without me having to acknowledge it, you know? But it's all to cover and protect ourselves and not be seen as weak and not be judged and not be ostracized because deep down as human beings, we're all fucking afraid. You're absolutely correct. Yes. And of so many different things. Yeah, I agree with you. This is just fascinating. And are you finding that the awareness amongst women, do women get it what men are experiencing for the most part? No, most women I meet believe the act. Okay. And again, as, as humans, we believe what we're presented with, right? So they don't realize, I, I hear from so many women that listen to the show and go like, I never had no idea men thought this. I had no idea men felt this. And I'm like, yeah, there's whatever you feel, we feel. Whatever we feel, I'm sure that you feel, right? We're different expressions, but the potential for everything, you know, except perhaps childbirth, <laughs> is in there in both sexes. We're not that vastly different that we can have empathy, that we don't have all the same emotions. They're just expressed differently. They can be felt differently. But to say they don't exist, that's to our detriment. So how do we bring this to more people? How do we raise the awareness of the really the gender neutrality and the and the lack of judgment for curiosity, I guess. Well, there you go. that's one word. That's one thing that is. But again, embracing authenticity, rewarding vulnerability, rewarding curiosity, all those are things to do it. Like the, the conversation we had, if, if every boardroom could be like, well, how do you feel about that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Donald Trump always talks about his gut instinct. He's an intuitive man. He can read a room. He can read people. He knows what works. But- if you asked him if he was in touch with his feelings, I think he would laugh. <laughs> you know, everything about him is about looking weak. So a right. lot of the action is, you know, and I, I said this, and this is not a political statement, but I always said that as, as we're going through the men's code and the women's code, I said, Donald Trump is the classic example of a traditional alpha male. Winning, competitive, doesn't want to be a peer weak, 
will come up with whatever he has to come up to be right, has to be right all the time, doesn't you know allow any other opinion in his because it's going to make him look weak. I said, so those are the people that built the structure. That's why he fares so extraordinarily well in the structure because it was built for someone like him. And so he knows exactly how to operate within that structure. But everybody who's not like that has to inevitably fail. And that's not the way. Like earlier you're asking, like, who feels masculinity is under attack? Well, that hardcore traditionalist that just sees it one way. Because there's an infinite number of ways to be a human being. So, so you have then, you know, so men then have the same, same issue that a lot of the women do. You know, you're up against a tradition. You're up against the traditional lists that are identifying what that means like to be a man. You are up against society that's significantly changing, especially with the, the generational shift. So it sounds pretty confusing to me. Yeah, but, you know, I'm seeing more and more, I'm talking to guys in their teens even, 20s, 30s, that are open. And people are, I'm seeing more men open to change at a younger and younger age. And, you know, again, it's it's that that pendulum is swinging. And the guys that are in fear and are so afraid of acknowledging fear, they'll get tighter and tighter and tighter. And everything's going to be a war. But I see those the, the number of those guys shrinking. And I do believe before Trump's life is done, he'll have an epiphany at some level. Like, it'll be through his kids. It'll be through Baron. You know, something is going to make that guy realize that he can feel. And I'm sure we're not going to see it. The public will never see beyond that mask. But I'm sure there's something beyond the mask. Are you saying that he's going to pick up a pink telephone at some time? I bet in the past he has for Ivanka. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, no doubt. If she had a pink phone, yeah. Or, or at least hire someone to do it for him. Maybe that's this. Maybe that's more likely. I don't know. But... I know the book that you're working on is The New Business Code. And hopefully, I sure feel like we've been talking about that in an indirect way. So, but, so, but tell me about what, what you see as this new business code that is showing up or you hope that shows up. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly along the lines of what you and I are talking about. I think what I took away and you know, admitting where I was wrong with some of my, my perceptions of the men's code, because I saw you know, in the business world how that plays out in the business world. And it's just not very comforting. And the judgments are made as a result of it. And now recognizing that we really see this change in and the softening or maybe the allowing of the softening to be visible, right? If we rephrase this, right? And now looking at this and saying, it's not just the women that structure doesn't work for. It doesn't work for men either. And so if it doesn't work for women, it doesn't work for men, then it really works for nobody. And so uh, how about we redesign this structure, which is why I call it the new business code, where we combine the men's code and the women's code. And we first identify what sort of the traditional origins of each one of these codes are and how they've changed over time and where we are with that right now. And then how do we take these two pieces where they are at right now and how do we combine them? And so that when you visually think, you know, these two circles coming together, we have an infinity sign. And so then the question, Andy, you know, it's like, what is a good leader? The answer to that is it depends on the situation. So if I am in a crisis, then I know collaboration, empathy, community building is more appropriate. If we are in a hard charging competition, you know, getting to market with a product before our competitor, now we're in a in a hard, you know, in, in a competitive setting. So the hard male energy is more appropriate for that. So, you know, and if I am a hard charging leader, now if I understand what this new business code really is, now I'm going to make sure that my second 
and my executive leadership team has these different attributes that we are now choosing as a company to represent. And I have this idea that instead of the mission and the vision and the core values, that we're adding the fourth element to it. And that is the definition of the leadership attributes we lead by. And the only caveat of that is they have to be balanced. They have to be female and they have to be male. And then we remove the label. Then they simply become the leadership attributes we lead by. Yeah, it's just what is as opposed to what is labeled. Yes. I mean, we have to label it to figure out how to overcome the labels. But then once we have a conscious awareness of how we are labeling it, then we can make the conscious choice to unlabel it. Yeah. Here's what works for us. Yes, exactly. (laughs) This is what our company stands for. Yeah. Awesome. Beate, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And frankly, I would love to have more like these with you too. But what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're up to and where to find out how to connect with you? Yes. So if you want to connect with me, go to beatechalette.com and there's a contact form. I really actually love hearing from the audience and specifically as I'm I'm working on this uh, new book. So if you hear something, you want to share something, please do share it with me because I think this is an important conversation I have. I want to make an adequate representation of what I write about. And, you know, you can check out the Women's Code if you're so inclined to. It has its own website, thewomenscode.com. And you find me on social media, on YouTube, all over the place. I I focus on workplace unification. I don't even call it DEI anymore. I call it workplace unification for the reason that I even find diversity, equity, and inclusion already a label that I do not want to follow. And so reach out to me. Don't be a stranger. And of course, I would love to be back and have more of these conversations because they're so important to have. Right. Yeah, and if you've stuck with us, if you've been listening, thank you. And if you made it this far, I believe it must be an important conversation to you as well. Or maybe you're, you know, you're that hardcore, competitive, traditionalist man, and you've been hate listening. You know that that's fine too. <laughs> I, that, that's cool. Hate that's listening, I like that. I never heard yeah. that. Yes, I have a lot of hate watchers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, turn them around because they're they're listening. There's something behind that mask, right? There's some there's some depth there, even behind the hate listeners. So wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, please subscribe, share, share this with somebody that would really benefit from it, post a review, a comment. You can reach out to me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. And if you want to talk about how to uncover your own code for living your best life, visit theandygrant.com slash talk, and we can have a one-on-one conversation. Not recorded, just an actual conversation that's private. (laughs) Ah, Until next time, be good to yourself. Be good to yourself.